Hey, everybody. Welcome to Roger and Me, a.k.a. Roger Ebert and Me, a movie review podcast tribute to Siskel and Ebert, in which two film critics, myself, Brett Arnold, and Mark Dusick of MarkReviewsMovies.com, veteran film critic Mark Dusick. Let's add another adjective to that because we have to dis- we have to distinguish me from you somehow. Uh, we're just two bald guys who talk about uh, all the movies that come out every Friday. The goal is to talk about everything that comes out theatrically, on streaming, on VOD. We aim to cover all of it this week. Not bad. I think we've got eight on the podcast, which means Mark and I both saw eight. And if you go to markreviewsmovies.com, I always have to give it a plug. Mark's got 13 yeah. for this week. <laughs> Uh, the, I'm trying to look at what I skipped. I know that there's a couple, do- or maybe just one documentary and a couple other smaller films uh, that if you want to know more about, check out markreviewsmovies.com. There is a movie I saw in January at a festival that Mark reviewed for this week that I did not catch up with again because it was quite unremarkable. And if you read Mark's review, he will you will find that he agrees. So I didn't do my due diligence i didn't do my homework and rewatch everyone will burn but you can read about it on markreviewsmovies.com uh go to apple podcasts leave us a review please it helps the podcast a lot please leave us reviews on apple podcasts uh five stars only we don't accept anything less than that actually it'll actually break your computer or phone if you try uh to do that so don't even try just give us five stars write us a nice little blurb I'll read it and go, hmm, I feel validated for doing this show that takes up a great chunk of my life for no money. What, what do people look for in life? Money? I don't know. Uh, but we do it for the for the pride of watching all the movies. We love movies here at the show. This week, we've got eight of them. And I'm trying to think of off the top of my head how many are good. I'm going to go ahead and say about half. Half of these movies are good. And that's a good ratio. That's four... You go into a weekend with four movies to watch. That's overwhelming. So uh, sorry to overwhelm you. Uh, Mark, what's going on? Uh, not much. Um, yeah, just excited. I mean, we've, yeah, we're, we're hitting a good stride and it's coming up on the end of the year, which is um, a very, very busy time. Very busy time. The screeners are out. So the film critics are watching everything that comes out over the course of the next month, uh, over the course of like the first week of December, or the last couple of weeks of November, cramming to make their end of the year lists. So Mark and I have seen most movies that have, that are coming out uh, by the end of the year, except I'm for a little hand- behind. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm a little behind from you. You've seen you've you've seen more than I have. For Ooh, the end of the year. yeah, very, but I'm feel, getting yeah. this coming week is going to be I'm going to be just sitting in front of the TV with movies nonstop, pretty much. So it'll well, be fun. What a life! That's why we do and it. that part I do entirely for free. There is no <laughs> there's no reason for me to catch up with these movies this early, except for awards. Yeah, you got you want to get yep. your voice heard. Yeah. Uh for sure. Um what do we got here? The first movie of the week. I'm so excited to talk about it. It's a new Godzilla movie, a new Japanese Godzilla movie specifically. Uh there's so much to talk about uh with regard to this movie and with regard to the Godzilla franchise. So let's get right into it uh with the trailer for Godzilla minus 1. <laughs> Don't 
あれはゴジラ政府はこの情報を国民に伏せています誰かが貧乏口引かなきゃなんねんだよおめん I'm very excited to talk about this movie、uh, one of the coolest things about it Mark that I clocked right away while I was watching the movie is how it wears its influences on its sleeve in a way that I really appreciate like there's an entire set piece almost the first act of the movie that is just like hey We're going to do Jaws, but it's Godzilla. And then there's a third act set piece that's like, what if we did Dunkirk, but it was Godzilla? <laughs> and then the middle set piece is just, what if Godzilla was Godzilla and did a Godzilla、uh, attacking a city thing?、Um, so I thought it just delivered in terms of amazing, badass, epic, cool to look at, visually pleasing spectacle set pieces. And Mark, when I tell you I, the, my mind exploded when I read that the budget for this movie was $15 million, and the fact that this movie, if it were made in America, would cost $200, $150 conservatively, it just boggles the mind to think where all that money is going. But that's a different conversation. I really appreciated the earnest melodrama of this movie after the biting government bureaucracy satire of the last Japanese Godzilla movie from, God, what was it, 2016? Uh, Shin Godzilla, fantastic movie. It's like, what if Godzilla was happening and you were watching like a the thick of it or in the loop style satire of government bureaucracy?、Um, but this movie has the same kind of the government's not going to save you message. It's just, it's just operated completely differently, coming, coming from a totally different angle. The message of this movie is like, the government's not going to save you. It's up to the citizens to organize and save themselves. So I think these movies really complement each other. I think it's maybe one of the best Godzilla movies I've ever seen, which, you know, there's 70 years of these movies now. I think this is number 30 something, maybe even more than that.、Um, I thought it was fantastic. What did you think? I liked it quite a bit too, for a lot of the reasons that you brought up. And I'm, I'm, I'm iffy on Shin Godzilla just because I think that the government bureaucracy satire gets a little thin as it goes on.、Um, it's a long movie, and there's a, a long of, movie. And there's a and lot of that stuff. Yeah. It's repetitive in terms of the satire. It's just over and over again. Nobody can、But、do that. But what about the googly eyed? What about googly eyed? Oh, yeah. I love Godzilla. Godzilla. <laughs> yeah. I love Godzilla in that because he's so weird at times as he evolves. This one, though, because it is returning to that idea of the human story, this feels. At times, like a beat for beat remake of the 54 original film.、Yes. There are action scenes and things that happen that are directly ripped from it. Like the reporter on the rooftop is like the reporters in the tower. The train getting eaten is one looks amazing and it's terrifying in this one, but that's also from the original. And that's the thing about Godzilla here is he is just this unstoppable force, uncaring, un. Unsympathetic, obviously, just not even noticing all of the buildings he's knocking down and people he's stepping on.、Um, that's what makes it so scary. And that original film is terrifying because, I mean, this is 
is old hat at this point, but you know, the original Godzilla was a response to nuclear weapons testing going on and all the fears of what uh, nuclear proliferation would do. This one has a direct reference to the atomic bomb attack in, in, in either Hiroshima or Nagasaki when Godzilla unleashes his atomic breath for the first time. And it is horrifying to watch that. It is that. stunning. I, I, yeah. I saw it. Did you see it? In, I saw it in I saw it in Dolby. Yeah, oh, I saw amazing, it in Dolby right? theater. That, <laughs> that sound, that moment where it's like, it, it's like almost the same sound cue thing from Oppenheimer when the bomb goes off. Where yeah. It's like the, the delayed sound, but it's the loudest thing you've ever heard. And it like, you felt the impact of it. And it, yeah, it, it was really yeah. cool to see. And again, $15 million budget versus like I can't Godzilla that. versus Kong costing, I don't even want to look, probably 200 and <laughs> A like, lot of money. It just, these movies eat American blockbusters lunch, dude. Like, it is embarrassing to watch American blockbusters after something like this. Yeah, th- this looks fantastic. And to hear that it, the budget is that low, I, I can't imagine it. I, ima- I I have to assume that there's a lot of in-house because the filmmaker... There's like eight people. There's eight people v- on the VX VFX team where like in the US, it would be like, what, hundreds? It's it's just like a... It's about like a vision. Uh, people in my... I've tweeted about this. So I've been getting a bunch of VFX people tweeting at me explaining why it's going on, like why it's different in there and here. And a lot of it is just the amount of time spent in pre-production planning these things and making it look good versus Marvel strategy, which is to change the script on the fly and just constantly change things. So the overages come from like overworked people. They come from doing sequences and then doing them again and redoing them. But the, everyone stressed that like clearly this movie, Godzilla minus one had like, and it showed in the trailer, actually the guy who wrote and directed it did the VFX. It must be like a VFX guy because it's like, you need like an auteur level VFX guy with a vision for what it looks like. And you can do anything is what they all are telling me. They're like, if you have that and you have the team, it can be small and, you know, not that much money and you can make it sing. And this movie is a great example of that. But you're right. This movie is a lot like the 54. I love, oh God, when the, when the theme kicks in, like an hour in, yeah. that's the theme, the iconic theme. Oh my God, I, I lost it. Um, but yeah, I think it's really powerful stuff because it has like the human drama on the ground that all it's melodrama for sure, but it's pitched very well and it works. And every you really feel the action, the set pieces. The first one, I heard someone compare to Jurassic Park and I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good call because it's basically Godzilla's a little just like a dinosaur sized thing early on and just kind of wrecking people. And then he gets atomic bombed or whatever and be, just keeps growing and growing. And ah, it's just so cool. I'm so eager for people to see it i hope it's like a huge hit i don't know how huge a hit it can be i hope it's getting a wide release it's um, a wide release for sure um but i don't know how many people are going to go out and go see an actual subtitled godzilla movie now i would hope a good number of people would but who knows um yeah the fact that it is it's so centered on the human characters which is refreshing yeah. and the human characters matter like this is about a you know a kamikaze pilot who bailed on his mission at the last minute because he didn't want to die and ends up in Tokyo in a post firebombed air raided Tokyo and is just trying to get through his life and trying to get over the guilt of having yeah. left behind his family, left, left his family to die. Didn't accomplish the one mission that he was supposed to accomplish. And then got a whole bunch of people killed because he was too scared to fight off Godzilla all of this survivor's guilt and trauma yeah. and regret, you feel it 
even if it is all melodrama, it doesn't matter because this is you know why it, it works. That's the sense of that country at the time. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. what I was just gonna say. Because like it's about this movie is about how the government treated their own people. They yeah. like treated them as bullet casings to be shot into war. Like these kamikaze pilots. It's so it's such a compelling opening because this kamikaze pilot is landing for repairs, and you quickly realize like there's nothing wrong with this plane. This guy is just it's the the last days of the war. So like it's already over. And these people are still their order is to go kill themselves for the country for no reason at this point. So this guy doesn't do it. And yeah, the movie's about that. And like Godzilla is used in the way it often is as like a specter of a metaphor type of thing that like is lording over him. That represents his, you know, all the things you're saying, it represents all the things he's running from. And like the way that really works and the way that, the payoff is great. The third act had the audience I saw it with applauding like at that one moment. It just it's such a good crowd pleaser, but it very much is a Godzilla movie with a statement about uh, Japan at the, you know, the Japanese government. And it has something to say and it has a message and it's about the power of the collective human. But also like it makes sure to show you how like helpless they are in the face of something like this created you know by the Amer- american testing or whatever um but it's definitely not giving like it's def- i thought i was surprised by the degree to which it took japan to task i guess you know what i mean yeah like, and just the level of basic humanity that yeah. third act you expect that third act to kind of be another big city destruction scene and the yeah. whole plan is revolving around avoiding that avoiding the spectacle that we want just to be able to save more human lives and save every human life. Every human life here matters to the characters by the end. And that's important for that message of survival as a collective, as just human beings, basic human beings wanting to survive and to get through all the troubles that we have and everything. It's a powerful message in a Godzilla movie, which I wasn't expecting. I really thought that third act was going to be, oh, Godzilla shows up again, but it takes a completely different turn. And I really appreciated the fact that it's, using that last action set piece as a way to communicate that message on a deeper level. It's really nice. Yeah. And like I, my, my buddy Charles Bermesco's tweet about it was like, Sergei Eisenstein would love this movie. And I love that. <laughs> I love that take because, you know, of course, populist leanings going on, all that stuff, but just like, he's right about the rousing montage and action that this movie has that makes you, it's just the perfect use of that, uh, of film editing, I guess, is what I would say. Really cross-cutting, all that stuff. It is a really, really great movie. And I am he- i don't know why I'm not giving it four stars, but I am giving it three and a half stars. I think it's Oh, fantastic. cool. Yeah. I'm giving it a very, very solid three stars. It's, 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 it's really good, though. Really good stuff. Definitely check it out. It wasn't until that trailer that I even understood or attempted to understand what the title meant. The trailer's like, Japan is zero. Now it is minus one. So like, after the war, Japan was zero. And now it's worse because Godzilla is there, I guess. Is it, the has thinking. Like, it has the sense of being like a countdown almost. Like, you know, T minus one, T minus whatever. But it also oh. is. I, I'm also wondering if it's a reference to the fact that, you know, in the actual official Godzilla timeline, Godzilla doesn't show up until around 1954. And this one, is taking it back oh. before Godzilla... So truly, like you could read it as like prequel to original Godzilla, kind of, yeah. Which I think is cool. That is that is awesome. 
it's a great movie. It's playing wider than any, you know, foreign Godzilla movie has been playing in America. As far as I can yeah. tell, it's getting a very wide release. I had the AMC early access push, which in New York city, almost every show was full. They actually added a second round of late night shows that night. Yeah, they it did. Was selling that was so well. Yeah. Very cool to see. Hope people see it. Um, I don't know. Even I, my mood, like it's so funny when people like, when I talk about movies and how, why I love them and how, and what, when it started, I just always go with, you know, I all my memories are tied to movies. Like I can't tell you a lot about my childhood, but I, my example is always, I can tell you where I sat and what I ate when I saw Godzilla 1998, <laughs> the Roland Emmerich movie. Um, so like, even, that's a bad movie to be clear, but like, yes, I was, I was seven or eight years old. It was awesome. What do you mean it was bad? You couldn't tell me it was bad uh, back in the day. So it is nice to have actually good ones uh, happening. Because I think Shin Godzilla is one of my favorites. This is one of my favorites. 54 is obviously the best one and probably won't be beat. But like, you're not going to have guys in rubber suits anymore. And it has like a different charm that they are now completely different CGI spectacles. But Monsterverse put to shame by this movie, I will say. The US Monsterverse. And yet, well, you will you will hear us on what's that one called? The new Godzilla versus Kong, whatever that is. It's like we'll, we'll Kong talk about it Cross Godzilla or whatever. <laughs> yeah, there's some sort of X. I don't know what's going on. But uh we'll We're talk about the title when it comes out. I know that much. <laughs> for sure. We'll see what they end up going with in the final ads. I feel like they could just change it last minute too. Who knows? Uh Godzilla versus Kong was actually a surprise I fun yeah it fun was one. fun it's a fun one after a bunch of duds in my opinion but the 2014 was also good too i just didn't i guess i didn't like king, king of the of monsters, the monsters. and yeah. uh skull island was a gen yeah. i didn't like that much either uh all right enough about godzilla clearly passionate about godzilla um there were so many godzilla heads at the screening like people wearing merch and like stuff it was cool all right silent night the latest John Woo movie, which I excitedly went to see in person at a screening, and it was just a very bad experience. This movie's really not good. Here's the trailer. Shots fired! Shots fired! All units, please respond. This is your basic revenge thriller, and the gimmick is that there is, I think there's like one line of repeated dialogue, very whispered and hushed, that doesn't need to be there, but also kind of throws everything off. Anyway, beyond that, it's just a guy, his, his kid is killed in a crossfire in a gang fight, and then he decides after, you know, drinking himself in the garage, drinking himself to, you know, misery in the garage and his wife ends up leaving him to go and kill all the people who were involved in the death of his son and that's it uh, the whole movie is a lot of the movie is a training montage extended to feature length which is a very odd decision for a movie that doesn't have any dialogue so we're just watching this guy get ready to kill a bunch of people 
And then the last 30 or 40 minutes or so is an extended action set piece in car chases and shootouts. And Which sounds great on paper. John Woo's in here. Theory, yeah. But, it, it, but it doesn't hit. It doesn't hit, right? Why doesn't it? It doesn't hit because, I mean, there's nothing, there's no human element to this. When you don't have the dialogue, you need to have something going on. And instead of focusing on the character and his actual life post having his son killed, it's just, it's just him being miserable and then being determined and occasionally being sad when he has those sappy flashbacks to the sun with happier days. It's like, that's, that's the only human element here. That got a big laugh in the room of three people that I saw this in when like the, the real, the really sappy flashback, uh, which one? (laughs) uh, Yeah. I guess you're right. Yeah. It's all, it's, it's pitched like a Hallmark movie like that. I can't, I can't describe it any other way because all those scenes come off like they don't none of this movie has the like john woo flavor that's needed to make up for all the crap we're talking about and all the boring derivative setup there's just nothing to it at all so the things you're talking about like like the final act or whatever that's all action on paper i'm like i don't care how bad the movie is john woo directed that It, it must be awesome but there's next to no john woo flourishes there's barely anything to make this a Christmas movie at all besides like the 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 fucking title. That's it. I really don't know. Something well, he, to pour in the background. The son gets killed on Christmas Eve and he decides yeah. to kill them all on Christmas. I yeah, the, he puts the, it in the, the calendar. Like he's yeah. going to forget. Versus, that's so just like, for us. That is the tone that I think the movie should have been the whole time maybe. Like the January, it cuts to a, a December 24th calendar and it says kill them all. Like that's the tone I want it to be, but it's, it feels like it's not that tone. Like it's really earnest and sad and trying to be a, like a mellow, a heartbreaking melodrama about this guy's family, but it doesn't hit because it's the most derivative thing we've seen a thousand times. Guy whose kid is killed. He gets revenge. It's death wish. It's, it's exactly death wish, but it, and it's exactly death wish in like the modern way it was remade by Eli Roth or any other knockoffs where it's like very reactionary. Well, I guess it's always been reactionary, but it's very, you know, the gangs are infiltrating your neighborhood and you've got to pick up guns and kill them. Like it's very reactionary in a way I wasn't expecting. And it didn't work for me here because the movie around it sucks like that action. It, there's nothing. I don't remember any of it. I saw it a month ago. I don't remember anything about this movie. The stairway climb I thought was really well done where he's just climbing that winding staircase and it's a faux one take. You can tell where all the cuts yeah. are, but I, I didn't really care that much because I think it's staged well, and I thought the way that they use implemented the cuts with the choreography was clever. But that's about it. Otherwise, there's there's a scene where a character picks up two pistols and starts rapid firing. I'm like, oh, that guy must watch a lot of John Woo movies. But this is a John Woo movie. We want to see that kind of inspiration of action, yeah, not just kind of sure. repeating itself over and over again. And there's none of that balletic like setup, yeah, or at all. It just it's so badly paced. There's the villains are so not even there on the page, right? They're just like it, everything about this feels no like no one's just, there on the page. There's no, no one talking. No, <laughs> it feels so half written, though. Even like if you like, they would double their, you know, they would do a really good job writing things because there's no dialogue. But instead, they're just like, yeah, generic fucking uh, uh, Mexican gangbangers or whatever the fuck it is, and. Yeah, every element is the archetypal placeholder that they didn't write around. They just left it in. It feels like, like a dummy script that they could have judged up a little bit, 
but instead they just left the bare bones thing. It's like a bare bones outline on which you write a better movie onto, but it's just there. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a really bad movie. I was very disappointed with it. I, you know, I guess Wu's last movie was also a disappointing Netflix movie before this. So I don't know why I was excited, but like John Wu, I'm a Mission Impossible 2 defender. I don't think, you know, Face Off or Hard Boy, like, a lot of them don't need defending, like Hard Target and Face Off and stuff like that. But like Wind Talkers, I think is great. I think John Wu's a very interesting guy. I haven't seen all of the Hong Kong movies, obviously, but I've seen the American ones. And as far as American ones go, this is by far the worst one. It's really bad. Uh, one and a half for me. Oh, I'm giving it two. And that is because I think some of the action is, you know, it's well done by the end. Um, yeah, but it's, if you say so, a, I don't yeah, remember I, that. That's, yeah, I know. I'm going to say so. But I mean, <laughs> it does get repetitive because I there's nothing to latch onto here except that formulaic plot we all know and no human characters to listen to or to right? understand on any kind of level. Just it's it's a plot yeah. we all know. Yet they spend what um, seventy minutes setting it up. It's like the yeah. whole first the first hour of the movie is setting up a thing that you already got from like the two seconds of flashback. Um, yeah. You get to watch him get better at driving, get better at shooting, get better uh, at fighting. It's for the, it's, this is, feels like it was written for those people who write like make like four hour YouTube videos picking apart a, an hour and a half movie and all the supposed plot holes in it. Like you have to see him get better at everything. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense that he could get better at it. That's what it feels like. And it's just, it's, it's annoying. That's not interesting to watch. I don't care how he gets better at shooting a gun. I care that he's suffering um, and that his marriage is falling apart because he can't realize it. That's more interesting than, hey, look, this is how he learns to drive donuts in a parking lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, very uninspired. Very disappointing. Uh, If you were expecting like a return to form for John Woo, I'm sorry. There are people on Twitter. You can find them. There are t- people on Twitter who think it is, and I think they must have seen a different movie than me, or they like hit their head on the way in or something. But uh, you can find that take if you want it. Uh, all right, here is. Sorry, I like to mark. I like to rope mark into my really incendiary shit. <laughs> like that's okay. We, no. <laughs> we feel this way. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I give it a two stars. I don't remember if I said it. I'm slightly yeah. more positive yeah. on it. <laughs> slightly more. Slightly more. But positive. not positive in general. <laughs> well. Speaking of positive in general, let's move on to Eileen, a movie I saw at Sundance in January and did rewatch for the podcast this week because it's kind of it's. It, I was going to say it's kind of great, and I it was hesitating, but I'm not. I'm not going to hesitate. I'll I'll it, take over that position. I'll take over that position. It's kind of great. <laughs> it's kind of great. It's it's very good at the very least. Here is the trailer. Eileen. Oh, look what the cat dragged in. Good afternoon, Eileen. How's your day, Dad? It was a day, just another day. My day was a doozy. It's one of those days you never forget. Listen up. This young lady is our new prison psychologist. She may be easy on the eyes, but I assure you, she is very smart. I'm Rebecca. I know. I don't think I caught your name. Oopsie. 
nasty habit. That's why I like it. <laughs> I live a little. I'll stop it there because I don't know how much the trailer gives away. And this movie is very much about, uh, a, you know, I'm not even going to say anything. It's a there's a heel turn, and you don't want it revealed. I guess is all I will tease about it. One of the coolest things about this movie, and you get a sense of it from the trailer there, is that Anne Hathaway looks like she walked off the set of a Alfred Hitchcock movie or like an old film noir. She's like a femme fatale who walks into Eileen's life and changes it. That's basically what this movie's about. I'm not going to say in what way. This movie, at least for a while, it feels like you're watching Carol. You're watching like a lesbian romance blossom. But uh, tell me about this movie, Mark. What, what what did you connect You're with it? Why you, there we go. Okay, I have yeah. to throw this to you. I'm I'm, yeah. I'm stumbling it's, out uh, the gate here. Here's what here's how I'll put it. I'll put it that you know it takes a different direction eventually, but <laughs> and I think it earns it. And I think that might be the a contention with some people that whether or not it earns where it goes. But like the first hour or so, it's a pretty short film. Is just exploring Eileen's character and her life and her relationship with her father and how she is stuck in this life because her mother died. So she came home early from college and she wanted to go to college and she wanted to have this life. You just watch her in this prison that she cannot escape from while she literally works at a juvenile prison and caring for kids who are, you know, also stuck in this system. They, they committed crimes, I guess, as meager as a couple of instances of shoplifting and one as awful as a brutal murder, murder of his father. Yeah. That comes into play later. But I just was so caught up in this character. And it's not just her life. You also get a look inside of her mind. And so you have all of these scenes of her daydreaming or actually dreaming yes. of inflicting harm on herself or on her father or just in some vague way and you really get this sense of just how imprisoned she is in her own body in her own life in her own mind and i was so caught up in it and a lot of it has to do with mackenzie's performance because the character is very quiet and so it relies a lot on mackenzie just very effectively and very evocatively communicating things with her face in a very subtle way there's nothing like over the top about this performance except maybe the accent because it's massachusetts it's set in massachusetts at christmas and so it has that look too of just being this almost sort of americana-ish but twisted to this level oh yeah great massachusetts photography the cinematography is just beautiful in that bleak and desolate way like that scene it's very wintry yes there's that shot outside the bar where the two of them are smoking a cigarette after they've drunk for a bit and it's just snowing. The snow's coming down. You see the bar light. And it looks like something out of a Rockefeller painting. If Rockefeller, you know, had, yeah. some, had, some, had a very dark moment. So I guess like, <laughs> I guess, so what I, what I mean is it looks like an Edward Hopper painting. That's, what, that's the equivalent of it, <laughs> yes. but it's beautiful. The whole film looks beautiful and it's acted so well. You have, Mackenzie, you have Anne Hathaway, who's great as the femme fatale, who's got obviously got something else going on there. And then Shay Wiggum, Wig, Weham, Wiggum. I have to look it up. I always say Wiggum. Yeah, Wiggum. Shay Wiggum, who's great, such a great character actor, and he's really good here as the alcoholic, the potentially abusive father. Oh, like just co- if not if not abusive, if not emo- of, yeah, you know, he's definitely emotionally abusive, definitely so, yes. verbally abusive. He is just constantly being like, you're a nobody. You'll always be a nobody. Um, is it him that says, 
some people are people like in movies the stars other yes. people are just there take a penny leave a penny like that's you yeah. it's there oh, are God. i wrote down so many fucking lines in this movie because those lines from shay just net taking docking her down and nagging her are contrasted with you know Anne hathaway showing up and being like a breath of fresh air and being like I bet you have brilliant dreams. I bet you dream of other worlds. And like, you remind me of a girl in a Dutch painting. You have a strange face. It's plain, but fascinating. There's a beautiful turbulence. I love that. <laughs> like, she's You just, really did write it down. Yeah, I fucking great, loved it. Great dude. line. It's all, yeah. it's all so good. Um, and Anne Hathaway is having so much fun in that mode. And I think the big joy of this movie that a lot of people are maybe turned off by is the turn that eventually happens and what that says about the movie and what that says about the characters in it. And it is, I just think it's a really interesting movie, a character piece, character driven piece about like a repressed woman and what it looks like to come out of her shell. But maybe some people are, you know, have problems and should stay in their shells. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, there's a lot going on in this movie. I just don't want to get into it. It's based on a book that I'm like dying to read now. Yeah, uh, and it too. was adapted by the author and her husband actually, who wrote the movie. So I'm interested because it's always interesting to see a self adaptation, and I just want to know what this looked like on the page. But like, I, I really, really enjoyed this movie. It's a very strong three for me. Yeah, three and a half for me. I'm, I'm much. I get not much stronger. I'm stronger on it because I I really enjoyed where it went. I was not seeing. I did not see where it's going coming, and when it hit when it hit, I'm like, okay, I'm on board with this because this makes complete sense for these characters to go in that direction. And yeah, yeah, very cool movie. Definitely worth seeking out. Great performances, and uh, will make you want to know more. I want to read that book. All right, let's talk about. A pair of streamers, a pair of holiday uh, streaming movies. The first is on Amazon Prime. It's it's the second of three Eddie Murphy contracted at Amazon Prime films. Uh, the sec the second after Coming to America. I don't think we know what the third one's going to be, but the second one is Candy Cane Lane, that is based on like a real street in California. And they turned it into a movie. You'll see the trailer. It's magic. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. High stakes as neighbors compete for best decorated house on the block. I think this is the house to beat. Wow. What's your Christmas wish? I just want to win this thing. I'll take it. Signature, please. Ignore all the fine print. It's like you're signing your life away. Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Oh, it will be. Earth and shine, naughty boy. What the hell is all of this? Something's happening. Good morning, sir. Are you real? We all were until we fell into that elf sick trap. I don't think you're going to agree with me, but... I didn't absolutely hate this the way I kind of expected to. Um, I kind of thought the premise itself was inspired for a Christmas movie in terms of like the what's the song? The 12 Days of Christmas. Like the, the premise is 
some evil Christmas magic elf person makes it so the 12 days of Christmas song is coming to life around them, which again, I don't, I mean, it sounds inspired enough to me on paper, creative enough as someone who watches holiday movies, every holiday season, you're always looking for a new perennial. I see why they thought it would work, but then functionally when it's like, okay, the, the 12 days of Christmas are around. You're just left with like very silly kind of jokes that don't amount to much. So like cows are milking. There's like a milk, a milking gag happens. There's a lot of CGI animals and birds and shit flying around. So I want to be clear, like the inspired thing stopped for me at the idea. And then the movie, they did not figure out a way to make it. So I guess it is. Does it become uninspired if it was an inspired idea, but you couldn't figure out how to make it work? So is it, I don't, I don't it makes know. it unimaginative. That's for sure. That's I for mean. sure. But anyway, my summation of this movie will be words spoken by Eddie Murphy himself in this movie, which feels like it has to be self-aware, right? Where he says, nobody cares about hard work anymore. Crap beats quality every time, said Eddie Murphy in his second straight to Amazon piece of crap. Oh, wait, you didn't you actually? I like did. Coming yeah, to I liked coming to I America. Forgot. You to I be think... clear, you know that you were the outlier on that, right? No, yeah, I do. Oh, yeah, I know okay. I was. Yeah, I know I was. <laughs> I want to make our listeners aware of the reality of the situation, yeah, which is that coming to America was a much derided disaster that went straight to Amazon. I'm so I was shocked when I saw it the other day when I was looking it up that you liked it, but I uh, did. But anyway, I did like, like this, this one. I did yeah, not no. like this one. Um, this is, yeah, it's a lot of lazy pun based humor. Um, you know, the calling birds, like as soon as I clicked in my head, like why it's a parrot and why the parrot is on the phone. I, I cringed and it's a lot of the lowest, lowest of F, very low effort French uh, hens. Yeah. And you know, yeah. they're French cause they're wearing berets. You get it. You get it. Yeah. I, yeah. and the, the special effects don't look that great. Um, this probably costs more than the entire budget of uh, Godzilla. What put that in That's perspective? A thousand percent true. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This cost probably at least what three times, maybe even more, the uh, budget of Godzilla minus one, and the special effects look like this. But beyond that, it's just it's just boring and repetitive. Like the song, like the song, the Twelve Days of Christmas. It is boring and repetitive, and it gets. <laughs> It's not as annoying as the song. I'll give it that much. Because I think there's nothing Murphy, about it that will stick in your head. Like yeah, the song. Eddie Murphy is still charming, and that's it enough to, to, to not look like to, that. You don't care that he's sleepwalking through this performance that much. He's done worse movies, and he's put more effort into worse movies. So good on him for taking a little nap in between takes on this one, and it shows. Um, Tracy Ellis <laughs> Ross, I think, is the only one who kind of comes away with some dignity. She's funny. She's naturally funny, and she's funny here in this very throwaway role as the wife who gets caught up in it. Um, yeah, I don't know what to say. It's just a lot of chaos with the Leaping Lords and the entire climax at the end on the street is just visual and auditory noise that I just completely lost interest in while they're yeah. chasing rings and doing basic algebra as you do yeah. and, you know the, that festive holiday tradition of basic algebra crunching numbers oh yeah. god um my wife was watching with me and reminded me <laughs> it was she was like this is just like Jumanji and I was like oh it's a good point it's just like mm -hmm devolves into chaos in a town i feel like it's also there's also like it's trying to be like a gremlinsy thing too or yeah. small soldiers another example like i like movies that crescendo in that type of 
chaos, like entire town based chaos or whatever. But it just doesn't work here. And the movie gets completely overtaken with just dumb bullshit, as we keep talking about. But like the voiceover CGI toy characters become so central to the plot. Like I could not believe how much time we were spending with like Toy Story animated little creatures that were just talking. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I appreciated David Allen Greer as Black Santa, I guess. That yep. was that was that should have been that should have been a much more fun that should have been uh, the movie maybe that should have been the movie i let's be honest here. david yeah. allen greer is black santa coming to amazon prime much better movie yep i mean uh, we had little rel howery i know you didn't see it but dash you through the snow little rel howery plays santa and that's a that's a fun that's a fun little performance but yeah okay. david allen greer should be santa and it would be a fun movie that could be the spin-off movie for the sequel they're going to make about Halloween apparently. That'll be they, maybe that'll be <laughs> Murphy's third one. Like, oh, let's just do this same premise but with Halloween somehow. Yeah, there's something to the we'll talk about this again in a minute with this next movie, but there's something to the laziness <laughs> of like just making a movie out of uh like a known entity and then just like dotting the T's and cr- or dotting the I's and crossing your T's on it being like, well, all these movies have like a chase where you have to get something. So in this, why does why doesn't it be why wouldn't it be five golden rings? Uh, so like them just kind of it's like it's like you're plugging in. It's like Mad Libs kind of. It's like yeah. you're writing a screenplay, but you're doing Mad Libs, and that's what this movie feels like, and it's what the next movie feels like. I think the next movie is more successful at the Mad Libs than this one. But Mark's oh going to disagree. Oh, boy. Um, anyway, I watched this back to back with Deck the Halls, which ended up being a bad idea because they're really similar. And I don't remember <laughs> the differences. But like, it's about this one's about it's kind of trying to be like an indictment of capitalism and how the holidays are all about who can spend the most money and who can have the most lavish Christmas display. And he has to learn to understand the true meaning of Christmas and love his family. It's all about winning. It's not about winning. Blah, blah. But the mischievous elf deal with the devil shit here is really particularly uninspired. Jillian Bell doesn't really get to do anything. No. And um, yeah, I'm just looking at my notes. I got, I got <laughs> nothing else. It's forgettable holiday fluff. Um, I think the second movie eclipsed. I feel like before I watched the second movie, I was going to be kinder to this one. But I don't need to anymore. So I'm trying to, now I'm trying to do the basic algebra on that. I'm giving this one <laughs> one and a half. I'm trying to figure. I know where. I know where this. I know where this is going. Right now, I'm just in terror of what this next conversation is going to be. So here we go. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm giving I, Candy K Lane one and a half. You're giving it two. Um, so uh, yeah, two stars okay. for Candy Cane Lane. You're in the holiday spirit here, apparently. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm very sad. giving. Oh, this movie is all about people trying to get like a hundred thousand dollars or something for, yeah, no. for a prize. It's very <laughs> an asterisk that no one noticed. Yeah. That somehow. was a funny gag, I guess. Um, was it? Was it really though? <laughs> again, no, lazy. But yeah. again, let's keep Thank this conversation you. about lazy writing going as we talk about Family Switch on Netflix. Which did you notice in the end credit blooper reel? They had like a what do you call it? A clapboard thing in the bloopers yeah. that yep. revealed the title used to be family leave but i think it's a very uh it's a perfect netflix algorithm thing to see that title change go from family leave which doesn't tell you anything about it mm-hmm. to family switch which, which tells, tells you, you everything, everything about it in the fucking <laughs> title it is the perfect netflix yep. movie it is just family switch what if a family switched 
You've seen the movies. You've seen Freaky Friday. You've seen 13 Going on 30. You've seen Big. Yes, we'll reference all of those. Don't worry. You've seen them all. What if a whole family switched, including a dog and a baby? Is it a good idea? Here's the trailer. Coming at you, directed by Mick G. I worry that we're all kind of disconnected. Did you ask me something? Hmm? What? It's fine. Okay, good night. Titi, do you think it's good for you to live like this? You're really not supposed to use your hands. Why am family heating downstairs? Let's go. Can you help me with this problem? I'm kidding. You can't help me. No, I can't. We are going to make a happy memory as a family. I wish you could be me. I would love for you to be me for one day. I would love for you to know what it's like to be me. I would kill to eat a dozen donuts and just have it burn right off. Would you take a picture of my family, please? Everybody say Merry Christmas. You get the idea. Um, Jillian Bell as the magical Christmas elf has been replaced by Rita Moreno as the magical Christmas elf. Watching these back to back was a funny exercise because you really see the rubric or the outline of how they make these things. Like they're very uh, central. Uh, They're all the same. But it's funny that it took this long to get a Christmas themed body switch movie because I feel like the Christmas magic bullshit excuse lends itself to the premise whereas like freaky friday the remake i remember isn't it just like we're in a chinese restaurant and an earthquake happened and it's like some chinese magic or something weird so i appreciate that like i think the while very lazy low effort i think it's like almost a winning premise i don't know man let's get to it extremely low effort affair Vaguely Christmassy reskin of a body swap movie. It's not one body swap. It's four. The kids swap with the adults. The baby is a dog, a CGI baby and a CGI dog. It looks terrible. Uh, it's not very funny. Um, but I laughed a few times in the, at this movie in spite of myself, almost entirely thanks to the cast. I think Jennifer Garner's funny. I think Ed Helms is funny. I think the girl is funny. The boy is whatever. But my point is, Mark, you know, Freaky Friday, Big, whatever you want to call it, those hijinks have become a have have become a staple. It's become its own genre for a reason because it allows for base silliness. Like, remember the Jumanji movies that we have now? The not the old one, but the new ones with The Rock. Those movies are just body swap movies, and all the comedy is like Jack Black's talking like a girl. The Rock is Danny DeVito, like. My point is, things can be uninspired and still like work and make you laugh. And this movie's very lowbrow. Like, it literally has a Chekhov's fart joke. They set it up early <laughs> and then deliver on it. Um, it's very lazy. Lots of the most obvious lazy jokes on earth, but it has a heart. There's a message about, you know, you're uh, giving up like your dreams for your family and your kids not knowing that and kind of learning that and appreciating that. So I think parents would enjoy that. Like I gave up my rock career for you. My band's huge. And the mom giving up a promotion to watch the kids. Maybe that's actually bad messaging. It says kids are going to ruin your life. But anyway, I found it to have heart. I made me laugh. Again, a movie I watched with my wife on the couch around the holidays. It's like a low bar, but I think this is perfectly fine 
watch at home with your family over the holidays oh fodder wait are you recommending this thing <laughs> I think i'm just I gonna am. i oh my god okay well it's still it's, it's still a two and a half uh oh, it's still okay. a two and a half on the four scale but it's fully a three on the five scale for me <laughs> i if we're, ta- if we're being, if we're doing like arithmetic or algebra yeah, like the... or uh yeah we're gonna we get oh. pedantic about these things let's do it we do yeah. but this is but this is so lazy what 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 about the performances is funny other than the fact that it is jennifer garner and ed helms that's that's that, it that, they're just they're, i know that's that's not it doing anything. that's it I, I i am acknowledging that one of the things my wife and i were joking about i'm like it's so funny how you don't really have to Again, low effort in terms of the screenplay. Yes, you very, just kind very of low effort. All you have to do is get stars, and you have this generic oh. thing that an algorithm probably spit out. You wrote uh, Freaky Friday, but it's a family. Uh, baby switches with dog. And then they wrote this movie. Like, it truly feels like that. There's nothing inspired about it. But I think it's just interesting. Like, it's clearly made for two stars to come in and make it work. And I don't know if it 100% gets there. But like, it kind of does. It's fine. I I, <laughs> I don't, thought it was I don't totally see. watchable and fine. And like, it made me laugh, and it didn't make me cry or anything. But like, it made it resolved in a nice way. It was very, again, very low bar, and making clear that it's like a two and a half, not a three. But if Mark's can, Mark gave it a one, I think on his. I website. gave it a yeah. I'm giving. I gave it a one. It's. I don't. I really don't get. And I hate. The, I hate it, Mick G. I fucking. Hate yeah, that he's, there's an, he's there's not a good adult, filmmaker. He's not a good okay. filmmaker. My yeah. point, I, I take I take issue with the fact more that like I have to think about Jennifer Garner on a set being like uh, McGee. Like it's like beneath the dignity of of these stars to have to talk to this fucking asshole and address him as McGee. I think it's very silly. And he made two of the worst movies I've seen in the past in recent years in The Babysitter and The Babysitter Two on Netflix. But this was fine. Oh my god! Anyway, okay, so wait, okay, but th- there's like nothing to these characters. First off, I didn't, I didn't buy the body swap gimmick at yeah. all. Yeah, they're archetypes, and which means like when oh, they switch bodies, yeah. I didn't. The performances to me didn't communicate how they switched. There's no personality to the characters enough for those switches to really be meaningful, except for now Ed Helms is talking like a a dork. Yeah, someone. yeah, that's it, and and Jennifer Garner is talking like you know a teenager and that's it that's it there's nothing to the characters so i didn't find that funny i didn't find it convincing i think it's i think it's funny you didn't think dog and the baby humor was funny because yes the visual effects are terrible but i think that's the only kind of funny <laughs> joke in the movie like, is that the baby and the dog places. yeah it's kind of um, an inspired idea sure but I, it is so lazy it is inherently lazy it is completely yes. i don't like saying the ai algorithm thing spitting out a screenplay i know it really does feel that yeah. way here because even the Christmas theme is like it just pops up out of the blue in the opening and then yeah. at the end. And in between, it doesn't matter that it's Christmas no. because it really feels as if they reshot it when they realize, oh, this is going to come out like late November. We better make it a Christmas movie so they'll hit that algorithm. And yeah, it feels true. that way. It feels so cynical on that level. And it just feels cynical from the foundation that it is so lazy that there's no characters, there's no jokes, it's all formula, it's all just even the lessons are Yeah, vague. it's all it's all the formula, it's but so, I think yeah, I don't know. Uh, I can't explain why I walked away thinking that, because I, I don't want to like this shit. I didn't really like it. 
that I didn't dope. like it. I didn't like it. it eh, I, uh, it's definitely a teetering two and a half, three. I can't bring myself to give it a three on this podcast, but like it is, a, it's a rare two and a half, but I'm going to recommend it. I think oh people should watch it. I think it's, people should watch it if only to tweet at us and comment on YouTube and on our podcast feed on Apple and Spotify uh, about it. We have to settle the debate once and for all. This is our greatest Siskel and Ebert flap. Siskel and Ebert yeah. style flap yet. Um, over this shit. Over this fucking <laughs> garbage directed by McGee that I'm acknowledging isn't like good, but it, it's like it's like an understanding the assignment thing. Um, and I I don't know. I I would I did laugh at their stupid little riff about I'm 17 again. I'm 13 going on 30. Like it's so low effort and it's annoy I'm annoyed that I laughed. But I did laugh enough to give it a a a, a, a letterbox pass, which is a 3 out of 5. That's what we're going to call letterbox pass and a 2 and a half on the Roger Ebert scale. Uh I've given it a 1. You're I'm one, one star. I'm one you're... star. <laughs> That's it. That's, it's terrible. You didn't it's, appreciate wait, that, the, that Weezer's in this? No. <laughs> okay, do, that's fair. Do we, what song was it? I forgot already. What song uh, I forgot too. It's a Christmas song. But yeah, a Christmas Rivers song. Cuomo shows up early and I'm like, oh, Weezer's in this. And then they play a song. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's very algorithmic. But... <laughs> I don't know if I wonder if my wife wasn't in the room with me and we didn't have like a fun time watching it together if I would have been as nice. But we thought it was we thought we thought it was fine. <laughs> That's my review. Oh, um, let's talk about a movie we'll agree on. Finally, Unity. Um, Fallen Leaves. Here's the trailer. <laughs> Tapasin sen pienemmän myöhemmin. Mentiin melkein naimisiin. Yksi te menneet, Matti Liikka, hiljainen tosi. Hukkasin puhelinnumeron. Se kieltämättä vähän haittaa. Saat kelvata, vaikka näytätkin heiveryseltä. En tiedä edes nimeäsi. Kerron ensi kerralla. Meillä vitsi paare, syki Oh, this is a nice can I just little say, movie. Yeah. Can I just say real quick? I love the movie so much because we just went from you found something of value in Family Switch. <laughs> we go from that to this Finnish deadpan satire of modern day life. That's why this and is there, the best podcast on fucking Oh my God. Earth. I okay, agree. There we go. Okay. You're that's right. it. Continue. Yes. <laughs> I agree completely. This is a terrific podcast with a wide breadth of coverage. That's a good point, Mark. My friend actually texted me recently about this. He said, it really tickled me that at the end of this really thoughtful, long discussion on one of the best movies of the year, you guys are then like, and next week, Five Nights at Freddy's. <laughs> That's range. So uh, everyone agrees. That's why they're here. Thank you for listening. Um, all right. Fallen Leaves. This Finnish movie from a Finnish director whose work I am, I'm going to be honest, I am pretty unfamiliar with. I've seen, uh, I don't think any 
besides this movie. This is my first. Uh, this movie is being touted as being a part of kind of like an informal trilogy with a couple of his other movies, uh, The Match Factory Girl, and um, I Hired a Contract Killer, I believe, were the other two. Uh, from like, between the 86 and 90, I think those came out. Anyway, this is a movie, Mark. I don't know how I would describe it. Romantic comedy sounds wrong, but it feels like it kind of is like one. But it's kind of, it's just like deadpan was a good word you used up top. It's a movie that I would describe as it's about the importance of finding pleasures in life and the simple pleasure of being in love, if you consider that simple, but like, or having a relationship or doing something for yourself and spending time with somebody else it, in times of strife. Because this movie, the first thing you hear, maybe not the first thing, but throughout the movie, you hear like the Ukraine war stuff going on in the background and she's constantly turning the radio off and just going about her day or whatever. And I really appreciated that table setting, especially because I think you get at this in your review, Mark. This is a movie that feels like it could be a period piece for like 50 years ago, but it's not. It's actually in the future. It takes place in 2024 if you mark, if you look at a calendar in the movie that they show you. So like, it's this really interesting movie that's kind of timeless and just goes and like, it's about two people on the margins, like one who works as like a cleaner and the other guy who's just like a fucking alcoholic. That's all you really know about him. And it's about them connecting. But and then like this, you know, not disconnecting, but like not seeing each other for a long time, and they didn't get each other's numbers. And like fate brings them together again, and will they make will they make it work? And it's just it's so simple, and there's not a lot going on. But I would argue it's actually is a deep movie in spite of that. Please t- talk about it better than I did. Yeah, no, no. I mean, it's all about the tone. It's all about that feeling of just being bored and having that malaise of just existing going from you know day-to-day job going in between jobs she loses her job as a grocery store clerk um or stock person and he loses his job at the factory and they have to just keep looking for new work and they keep failing at doing this for a whole bunch of reasons and then at some point they meet and then they keep reuniting by fate and it, it does feel a bit like a romantic comedy but it's just these little tiny things and it is that feeling of being overwhelmed in your own life and being overwhelmed by the world and how awful things can be and looking for those little things that make it worthwhile it yeah. is a very simple film but i was caught up in it just because of one the look of it it looks it does look like something out of time even though it is modern and contemporary and deals with contemporary issues but because it is out of time it's like, well, we've always been dealing with this stuff and we've always had to deal with terrible things in our own lives and terrible things in the world going on. And how do we get through that? And just that exploration of how do we how do we find our way through a day to day life that feels yeah. so awful at times? I just I just was caught up in it. And I love the little details of the romantic comedy stuff and how it subverts it and how it embraces it. Yes. Um, I don't want to say too much, but there's a coma involved at one point <laughs> that is like something out of a goofy romantic comedy, but it works here because you're caught up in the lives of these characters because they feel so ordinary and routine. You're like, yeah, I get this. I understand this. I can relate to a lot of this stuff. And I was I was on board with it, so I enjoyed it. And it has one of the best 
karaoke scenes of the year yeah that scene in the bar that that song is so good it's one of my favorite scenes of the year probably i love a karaoke scene it's like it always gets me and that's like a unique one because it's more just like a band scene it's like a mu- it's like a, a song and it's really nice anyway um this movie features a couple going on a first date to see jim jarmusch's <laughs> the dead don't die which it's amazing they survived that because that is a bad movie i thought did you like that movie no i didn't like that one okay great um, yeah, there we go. <laughs> I appreciated. I appreciated the nod to Jarmusch here. Feels like a kindred spirit of this director or something. Um, but yeah, this movie made me very eager to dive into this guy's other films. I, you know, every now and then you find a blind spot as a cinephile and you feel like an idiot because you're like, "Where's this guy been all my life? Everyone's giving his movies five stars and I haven't seen any of them." So I feel like I'm excited to catch up. And this is a very good, very simple, nice movie. That yeah, it's about you know working minimum wage job in a tough time and how what makes life worth living i feel like it just it made me think about a lot of stuff it was really good very very strong three stars for fallen leaves three stars for me too that nice that nice perfect blend of bitter and sweet here it's just yeah it's just lovely at times i really i really enjoyed that a lovely movie that will eventually be on movie streaming i believe uh and in theaters now limited all right, let's talk about Raging Grace. You must be the new help. Yes, ma'am. Do try to remember that this is your place of work, not your home. There are so many children back home that would be happy to have this. Gloria. Oh, Mr. Garrett, I'm Joy. This is my daughter. Grace. I saw her in my dream. She tells me you've been caring for me. I'm originally from the Philippines. I love the Philippines. I once had a Filipino nanny. That lady gave that old man the sleeping medicine. classic bad trailer that is overselling the horror elements for this movie that i think those horror elements are very much the worst part uh i don't know if mark agrees but i'm gonna let him take it over what tell me about this movie yeah so this is the another in the trend of the uh life of a working undocumented migrant as a horror story um and i think this one works pretty well because it does once again like some of the better ones it gets you involved in the life and the routine and the struggle of just having to keep under the radar and being insecure financially and in terms of housing. So the setup is this, um, this woman who's a cleaner, she works for this cleaning company named after Rudyard Kipling, which becomes a big point in the movie later on. She's going house to house, keeping schedule of when her clients are going to be out on business or on vacation and sleeps in the houses with her daughter and just, cleans up after them and then that's it and that's how they're living is just with that complete level of uncertainty she gets this really good deal at this remote manner where she's going to get paid under the table a lot of money it's more than she can make and she's trying to buy some forged documents for citizenship in the uk and some creepy things happen in the house and there's a lot of mystery going on it's not much of a mystery but a mystery of the man who is in a coma upstairs and how did that happen um yeah i I enjoyed this because it's so nimble on its feet of swapping between those different genres of becoming like this slice of life thing and then turning into a thriller as she's trying to hide her daughter from the woman who's running the house at the time. 
and eventually to the horror stuff, which I, I guess it is like the least compelling aspect of it. But what I think works about it is that it is tied into the entire idea, not just of the light. You're right. You're right. This like underlying, you know, the obvious prejudices of the past that were there and how they're still there. But you have to look a little bit harder for them. Um, but they're still present. And I looked the way that it just uncovers all those layers of those things, like having the Kipling references throughout the movie and having this character who is asleep and yet once once the um once the plot awakens that prejudice, a certain character comes into play and becomes the secondary villain here. I just I just appreciated that as a as a metaphorical level. Um and how how much it has to say, but while keeping it in tune with the characters and the story, and staying true to those those ideas, um, yeah, I, it's hard to it's hard to talk about because we've one sure. there's a couple of twists, and two we've seen a lot of movies like this as of late. And I nanny nocebo at the gates. What else is there? Is that all? Of yeah, them? Um, okay. there's there's probably a few more. We've we've talked a couple of times about and, undocumented migrant stories as horror movies, and recently. they feel they. They all feel like post get out, post parasite in a certain way. You know what I mean? In terms of like telling the story via the horror. Via, that's more get out where I feel like what I'm trying to say is these movies feel like they have to Trojan horse their message or whatever it is into a horror movie to get it made. I feel like, Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. kind of how I feel like these movies operate where like nanny really felt that way. We're like, this is a good movie, but it feels like it has to throw in horror elements to get people to watch a trailer and go see it. And I felt that way. I do feel that way about this movie. And I agree that it has a lot to say and it's really interesting stuff. And I just think the horror elements didn't do anything for me, leave a lot to be desired, but the themes are very compelling and rich and they do make it worthwhile ultimately. And you're right to say that the horror element is baked in. Even if I didn't think it was effective, it is definitely baked into the premise. Like, you know, being a Philip, being an being an immigrant worker in the U.S. without a green card, um, as a horror story makes sense. Like I get it on paper, um, but yeah, I think it's just the scarce thing and that framing that's keeping me from like loving this movie. But I thought it was very effective, and I agree, it's one of the better. It feels like it has the most to say out of those movies that are about like assimilating into the U.S. and like losing your identity or becoming like a white person, so to speak, becoming more Americanized, losing touch with your family and the insidious nature of well-meaning uh, uh, white people, so to speak. There's a lot and going on. And less than well-meaning white people. Oh, yeah. Too. And the... bad, bad meaning. Yeah. yeah very. I, like that. I really like that juxtaposition of having two villains in this. So you see the modern day representation of what prejudice looks like. Um, and then the old fashioned version that's, you know, looks a little bit more polite because they've been raised to be, you know, genteel and all that. Exactly but you know what? Right. What's beneath that very thin surface? It's the, yeah, the same hatred, the same. Yeah, exactly. You, you nailed it. That's exactly why it works. So I'm, I'm giving it a, it's a, I don't want to say generous three stars, but it is a three star movie that I think has, some problems but it's like a it feels like a you know i'm sure this is like a debut or something uh or, uh maybe a, yeah, um, it is a i debut. think so i think it's a feature it, debut at least it's yeah. a feature debut and you know you got to give it some leeway on that right so like it's a three-way three-star movie for me uh with some caveats that i didn't love the the horror elements but again i don't begrudge anybody for you doing that because I, I do think there's more 
there's there's a reason the filmmakers is making a horror movie because they want to get the story told or whatever. Um, yeah. Are you three as well? Yeah, I'm giving it three stars too. So, yep. Totally All right. worthwhile. Yes, definitely worth your time if you can find it. It's a definitely a smaller release that's limited yeah. and maybe VOD, but keep an eye out. Um, all right, this next one's a French movie with Isabelle Hopper. Never know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, despite having seen every one of her movies, I feel like, and seeing her in person several times in New York City at screenings. Uh, not even going to try to crack myself. La Syndicaliste trailer. Here it is. Maureen Kierney s'est fait agresser chez elle. C'est quoi cette histoire? Vous pensez quand même pas que j'y suis pour quelque chose? Vous avez des ennemis? Depuis un an, je travaille sur un dossier sensible chez Areva. Vous pouvez nous en dire plus? Roguillo fait des zingues à Areva. Il négocie avec des Chinois dans le dos du gouvernement. Vous avez des preuves? Il veut devenir numéro un mondial du nucléaire. Si vous balancez ça, vous allez prendre des coups. Excusez-moi pour le retard. Vous, vous n'êtes pas convaincu. Vos questions à la direction, vous gérez bien auprès du ministre. Vous vous prenez pour qui Faites attention. Il y a beaucoup de pression politique dans ce. Watching that trailer, Mark, made me think this is kind of like the straight played version of the movie that May December is like making fun of. Like a rip from the headlines story where the audience really just wants to know about the lurid details, like the. like a knife was inserted into this woman's vagina or whatever, like all the, this thing that happens up top. But this movie is just kind of, I'm kind of, it's another one where I'm torn Mark between two and a half and three, because I think the movie is a fine retelling of this story that I hadn't heard. And then has since looked up and discovered the facts. And it's like an ongoing story that still isn't resolved. And I think that me just saying that, sums up why this movie doesn't really a hundred percent work for me it just feels like a rip from the headlines true story like law and order episode type of thing it doesn't it feels very televisual it does not feel cinematic to me but despite having a you know great lead performance uh take it away mark what did you think of this movie yeah it's it does have that rip from the headlines feel it has a lot of confusing french politics and the intersection of french government and industry because it's about nuclear power in france yeah, it's about like so, geopolitics also yeah so there's a lot of confusing stuff that i think uh, a french audience will immediately understand what's going on but you know us uh, us uh, meager americans don't quite get it but i was okay with not understanding it because it is so you get much it. about yeah, yeah. it's it's not it's once you kind of get a grip on oh this is how the layout of everything is this is what the stakes are of this story it turns into a completely different story that has really very little to do with nuclear power and with government influence and with secret meetings between the French amb- embassy and China or however it's all working out. That's not the actual thing, but you know, it's about a woman who's being uh, been abused by systems of power and by very particular attackers in her own home and how the systems that are supposed to protect her end up failing her constantly and repeatedly. Yes. And that part of it, is what drew me in and the fact that Isabelle Huppert is so great in this role as she typically is. Um, but it's such an understated performance because this character is so driven. You that's, I think that's the important part of the first section of the film with all that is to just that you understand she is so determined and passionate about her work. And as soon as yes. that attack happens, something flips and she's no longer passionate about the work. She's no longer determined. All of that has gone away because 
of what happened to her and how does she reclaim that power that she has that she once had against the uh the the presence of these systems and these men and these um departments that are working against her for whatever reason i found that part compelling yes and and there are some really great grace notes with exactly that like the police not caring and turning her into mm-hmm. the, turning her from victim into a suspect. Like she gets this really invasive procedure post assault. And then it takes a couple seconds and the doctor is like, see, it was nothing. And it was like, to you, it was nothing to her. Yeah. It was traumatic. And yeah, it had like, it, it, it is good in that regard. You're right. I definitely, I guess I underestimated in that regard. Cause it definitely nails all that. I'm just trying to think why it kind of landed with, a thud more than like a, I walked away going I want to recommend that to people it's just a little dry it doesn't have much style to it and it just feels like you're watching a re- a thing that happened like recently <laughs> um, not the most compelling presentation but it's all well acted and well performed and well well wrought so I don't really know what my problem with it is other than like it kind of feels like a TV movie <laughs> more than a, a cinema you know what I mean no yeah I get that part of it it is pretty basic on a on a, uh, a stylistic level, but I, you know, I mean, who is so good that I was caught up yeah. in it. And I think it has a lot to say about society and how women are treated oh, and how society, just in general, how, yeah. Yes. I wrote down the thing I bolded is society loves to vilify a woman. They can't yep. fucking wait to do it. And I, you know, it's, it just feels like, like a, a late me too movie where like France didn't get around to the me too movement until like now because of the way that the the, the french stereotype or whatever I very sexual what, people i wonder what it was though i wonder what it was that made this takes this takes place i think in 2012 originally i wonder what kind of dragged up oh i mean i'm joking about them you know, oh no but like no. i'm also no but like i'm trying to say i'm joking but i'm also kind of like that's probably what it was like they're yeah. like you know if you where did roman polanski run to when he committed sex crimes or whatever like people yeah. go over there for a reason um just saying they're a little the, the, I, i'm joking about the fact that like americans are prude and the french are very sexual people that's the joke we're making but it's very very rude so yeah. i gotta but i do wonder yeah. what what about this case like yeah. 10 years later makes yeah. it you know worth and maybe it's just because it has been 10 years i don't know it's interesting um but yeah it's a it's a fascinating case because there's no there's no there's no solving what happened and it's frightening when you think it on that level um yeah yeah, yeah you're right uh i'll i'll, I'll give it to three okay I'll give cool it to three i'll Yay. give it to three it's there a we go it was it was good i want you know it's a two-hour movie that never bored me <laughs> yeah i'm giving it three stars too and i'm happy i knocked i knocked knocked your rating up just a little bit to the yeah that. and uh disappointed about family switch that i couldn't <laughs> You had no impact to the recommendation. Yeah, no impact on Family Switch. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, we'll be back next week with us uh, a lot, po- a lot. I think Poor Things I know is out. Um, what else is there? I'll have to go to markreviewsmovies.com. Check the bottom. We've got Boy and the Heron. We've got Chicken Run Two. We've got the new Ava DuVarnay. We've got a Shutter original. We've got that aforementioned Emma Stone, Yogos Lanthimos, Poor Things. We've got a William Brent Bell horror movie in Lord of Misrule. There's a lot of stuff, and there's probably more. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, Alien Ant Farm.
The show starts in one... Just to throw 